everybody, welcome back to Flightcast. This is an aviation podcast that made its start as a show about the mobile flight simulator Infinite Flight. You can find Infinite Flight in the App Store or on Google Play if you want to check it out. Joining me in the Flightcast virtual studio is Skyhawk Heavy, Mr. Mark Denton. Hey, Mark. Hey, buddy. What's going on? Well, uh, you know, I'm excited to get into some rotor wing chat today. How about you? I don't. I know. I figured I'd have to... Uh spread some love around to the rotor wing yeah. uh but you know have we oh yeah we had one on yeah well yeah. you know it's it's yeah i suppose they're they're he was on basically for jets but <laughs> yeah that's true um, no it's great uh and mark so, you you lined up this one so thank you well you're welcome um hey there's a you're welcome without with with an actual thank you attached to it I know. <laughs> Even cool. though all of them are warranted. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Mark, why don't we welcome today's guest? Yeah, man. Uh, you know, he's a uh, he's a United States Coast Guard, um, HH-60 pilot, uh, aircraft commander. Um, so today, Ryan Webb joins us from Traverse City, Michigan. And though he flies helicopters, he's also very passionate about flying fixed wing. Um, which of course we'll talk a little bit about that later. You know, I'm going to bring the fixed wing in there as well as teaching and supporting, uh, aspiring pilots to pursue their dreams. So Ryan, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for joining us. Thanks Mark. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Welcome Ryan. It's so nice to have you. And you're actually not that far away from me right now. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks Jason. Uh, trying to remember where exactly you're at in Canada. I'm just north of Toronto, so uh, we I consider anywhere in Michigan close enough. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> close. Yeah. Yeah, you're just across uh, Lake Superior, I guess, or Lake Huron, one or the other. Um, so, Ryan, welcome, and uh, we always sort of go... Not right back to the beginning, but often for our guests, the the love of aviation starts very, very early. Um, so why don't you tell us what got you into aviation in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, thanks again for having me on the show. I'm really excited to be here. I've listened to several episodes that you guys have put out and uh, will continue to do so in the future. Awesome. But, so for, for myself, like many others, uh, my passion for aviation started really as far back as I can remember. Uh, some of my earliest memories from my childhood were running around the yard with a little toy helicopter, toy airplane, and doing that. So I've always had a strong interest in aviation. And uh, from a very early age, I would say, you know, I, I knew that that was something I wanted to pursue. Cool. So how did it um, progress from that? What did you start out flying? Uh, well, <clears throat> my family was not a, a family of, of means, but they were able to, my parents were always able to find ways to keep us involved in different activities. And one of the things that they got us started in, I'd say probably around the time I was in junior high or so, is they they got us into Civil Air Patrol. I don't know if either of you are familiar with Civil Air Patrol, but it's a uh, civilian side of the Air Force, Air Force Auxiliary. Air Force Auxiliary. I was in, I was in CAP. Yeah, it's yeah, a great program. Um, it's, yeah. you know, I really can't say enough about it, For especially if you're a young person that's interested in aviation and or the military, or even if you're older and, and want to get into it, it's great. Uh, but through there, I was able to learn more about aviation I got to go up and fly in the Cessna 172 mm-hmm. a few times, learned a lot about uh, search and rescue, um, and all of this before Good you flight. graduate high school. You know, it's it's pretty pretty amazing program. Had us involved in the air shows, and so it was all around a good deal for me and, and really helped me grow my passion for aviation and search and rescue, which led me down the road towards the Coast Guard eventually. And what's cool, Jay, about CAP is that they do, um, they, you know, of course you're wearing the Air Force uniform, um, you're learning all the drills, you're learning, you know, 
marching hand salute you know you're, you're learning everything involved with it uh wearing actual air force uniforms you still have to do pt which is physical training or physical torture however you look at it uh, bivouacs which are training missions um, and you did actual SAR cases, which was really great. Um, and that's where I did a lot, you know, a lot of my initial, uh, flying as far as a little bit of my training, cause they do some training, uh, for, um, for aspiring pilots. And, um, so I, I definitely was right there with you, Ryan. Yeah, you were in the Texas great. wing or I was in the te West Texas wing and yeah. It was right before I joined, but when, you know, the, the very unfortunate event of the space shuttle coming apart on reentry happened a few yep. years back. Things like that, you know, these small squadrons of, of high schoolers and, and senior members that were passionate about it and, and wanted to volunteer in the community would get activated. And I believe my squadron actually found some of the, some of the pieces of the wreckage, um, as it, you know, went from, well, Texas, Louisiana, it was a huge, huge trail wreckage, but, you know, it, it's a pretty phenomenal program. Uh, it's, it's, you learn a lot of the same things you learn in JROTC, but mm -hmm. then you also learn a lot more from a search and rescue and aviation standpoint. But anyway, that, that was the way, one of the ways that I was able to get into aviation more and, and continue to grow that passion. So, it was nice. Definitely, man. So what what was it that made you decide to join the Coast Guard as opposed to another branch of the military? You know, I got a lot of questions about that, especially being in West Texas. is like, you're going to join the what? <laughs> Why not the Marines or something along that nature? But I, like I said, I always had a passion for flying, specifically helicopters, um, but flying in general. And even though we lived in the desert and really nowhere near water, I always thought that I enjoy being on the water or enjoy being on boats. And then through Civil Air Patrol, I kind of found that passion of search and rescue. So I just gambled that I would really enjoy that as a career and, and uh, applied to the Coast Guard Academy and got in. So... The rest, Rub it in, why don't you? The rest <laughs> is kind of history, but, um, but yeah, that's that's how I got started in the Coast Guard. It's, it was really marrying those three, three things, aviation, um, search and rescue, and, and wanting to be near the water. Okay. So the next question uh, seems obvious, and that is why helicopters? Helicopters... You know, it's the it's the hovering that's so cool to me. Um, there's a lot you can do with helicopters that you can't do with airplanes, but primarily being able to hover, uh, and especially in the missions that we do, being part of the team that's right down there, right over the water, or the boat or ship or whatever you're at, picking people up out of the water, looking back, seeing the smiles on their faces, hopefully. Um in the cabin when they know that they're safe and, and out of the water. It's such a rewarding experience to be able to go out when someone's having a bad day like that and, and really help them out. But, you know, oh, cool. I, I just love it. I love it. Now for the record, give me a strong enough headwind set up for slow flight and I can hover the 172. <laughs> it's funny you say that so when, when i was first starting out flight training in flight school the first thing you go through is the aviation or the introductory flight screening ifs they call it and you fly cessnas or pipers or some small general aviation airplane for about 25 hours making sure that a it's something that you're interested and you want to pursue and b you're not just so uncoordinated or unable to do it that the, the navy you know deems you un untrainable basically um, they want to make sure you're not a dumbass. right it's it's yeah. a uh, it's a screening program it truly is it's they're trying to attract people they don't want but in that i flew a cessna 150 and 
there was a time when my instructor and I were trying to come back home and it was a pretty stiff headwind and he's like, tell you what, let's go ahead and put this in slow flight. And I didn't know what he was doing at the time. And he maneuvered for me a little bit. He's like, a little, a little more left, about five degrees more left, you know, things like that. And he's like, okay, now look down, look down at your left main wheel there. And I looked down and <laughs> that tire was just holding steady over the beach. <laughs> we, yeah, we were not awesome. moving forward or backwards. We were just kind of hanging out like, wow. So what would, um, Outside of the the 172, the 25 hours, what was the training process like after that? Once you finished your flight screening, then you went to aviation pre-flight indoctrination, which was a bunch of classwork and physical training. Um, You learned a bunch of different courses over the course of about a month, and each week was a different course. So you'd have weather for a week. Um, aerodynamics, engines, uh, classes like that that were applicable to what you were planning on doing. And you do a couple of them each week with a test at the end of the week. And while you were going through the classes, you were also doing a lot of work in the pool. Um, survival swims, what they call drown proofing, which is a fancy word for being comfortable at, with floating a few feet under the water and coming up for breaths every few seconds. Uh, things like that. And it culminates with a, a mile swim in a flight suit. And, um, I don't remember how long you had to tread water for in, in a full set of gear without any flotation and then, and then do your drown proof float a couple feet under the water, which is kind of where you stabilize. But all of that, um, and some other physiological things, uh, hypoxia chamber where they, essentially oxygen starve you for for a brief amount of time and and let you feel those effects in case you know you were pretty high at altitude and for some reason you lost oxygen and there weren't any indicators in the cockpit you at least knew what the symptoms felt like you know um so a bunch of stuff like that and then once you pass all those classes and you got your flight suit you started primary flight training and in primary you learned the T6 Texan II, which is a phenomenal plane. It's a two-seater ejection seat, 1,100 horsepower, uh, primary aircraft. And that's where you really learn the basics of flying a pattern, flying instruments, flying aerobatics, flying formation. Um, All these things you learn over the course of, I want to say it's about, it took me about eight to 10 months because there were a lot of weather cancellations and some plane maintenance, but just a truly phenomenal aircraft. You know, it's fully glass cockpit, fully aerobatic. It's like driving a Lamborghini in the sky. It was, it was a blast. It really was. Mark, that's the one we saw one of those down, uh, at Warbird weekend. I think the, the Navy or somebody had one there, didn't they? Uh, I don't know. I don't remember seeing a Texan two. Now we saw the Texans, the T six Texans, which were the Warbirds. I don't remember seeing the modern T six two. It may have been there. I don't know. I just didn't see it. Okay. Um, but yeah, and in addition to their responsibilities, they are they're also used since they're doing so much in the pattern and doing so many touch and goes. Um, they're also used to teach uh, amateur photographers such as myself panning on how to pan while trying to take pictures and get the prop blur <laughs> with the crisp image of the aircraft. Uh, good Lord. And that's all we get around here really are the T sixes. That's why I've got so many pictures of them on Instagram, but they, yeah. they, they look like such a fun airplane. The coast guard, all the coast guard pilots that are trained by the coast guard go through Navy flight training. So mm-hmm. uh, we, we fly those Navy T sixes. It's, it's all a Navy program until we, uh, become winged naval aviators. Then we go back into the Coast Guard, essentially. But yeah, I mean those Navy Texan twos, T uh, sixes, just a blast. Yeah, so much fun, and really yeah. teaches you to to think ahead and stay ahead of the airplane because you're, you know, you're coming home at 240 knots thereabouts and uh, following course rules as you come out of the military training areas and. You have to stay ahead of it, or else you're just going to be behind, uh, behind the power curve from the get go, and, and it's really hard to catch up. So, 
Great aircraft. Yeah. Phenomenal aircraft. Great time. Learned a lot. Definitely learned a lot. And uh, and then from there, we uh, I was selected to go rotary. And then you go to essentially across the street to the south side of the airfield at, at South Whiting Field in uh, the Panhandle of Florida. And yep. you learn to fly helicopters. So uh, the Navy helicopter training tool right now is the Bell 206 Jet Ranger. They call it a TH-57. And the first one you start out with really doesn't have anything helping you out. You know, it's it's only hovering because you're doing everything pretty much, which is great because you, you really learn how to fly with no systems helping you. Fly that for a while, you get your solo knocked out. Then you start moving on to more advanced things like instruments and Instruments in a helicopter is, is very different from instruments in an airplane at first, but you figure it out, get it all worked out, and then you get to do some cool things there to some helicopter formation flying, which is always a blast, a little nerve-wracking at first, uh, some, some other things like tactical landing approaches, pinnacle approaches, confined area landings, uh, external load operations, but uh, that's, that's kind of the timeline you, you progress through there. And once you complete that, you become winged. You're a winged naval aviator. You've completed the program. You're considered a pilot. And then you go back into the Coast Guard. You go to Mobile, Alabama, uh, where Mark is at. And you transition into the air, airframe that you've been selected for. For me, it was the MH-60 Tango Jayhawk. And... After a couple months of learning systems and learning how to fly that particular helicopter, you go to your unit, and within a couple weeks, you start standing duty as a qualified pilot, even though you really don't know that much about the mission or the helicopter, but it's a ton of on-the-job training, and that's just the way the Coast Guard does it. Probably why they do it in Mobile, because you you know you only get the unruly Forrest Gump out there on the shrimp boats. Um you know, that may need you to come hoist them out or something <clears throat> instead of going to Cape Disappointment in Oregon right off the bat. Yeah. Yeah. There's, well, all the, all the hoist training you do in Mobile is done with a contract boat. So it's the same boat every time and they know what they're doing, even though you don't and, and you just learn <laughs> off of them. And, uh, yeah. And then like I said, you know, you show up to your unit and, Within a couple of weeks, you could be flying actual SAR cases. Granted, for a while, you're sitting in the left seat. You're not doing any of the hoist flying. You're you're learning how to be a good co-pilot, essentially. And and uh, but yeah, you, just uh, you know, a month after you could show up, you could be on the most intense search and rescue case you've ever had. And and that's kind of what happened to me actually. About a month and a half after I showed up to Elizabeth City, we went on a real, really intense case and. And that was my first SAR case right out of the books, you know, right out of the gates. And it's been the most intense one I've been on. So that's that's the unique thing about the Coast Guard, you know, is whereas the other services, you, you go through flight training, then you go through the RAG, which is your transition. Then you go to your unit, you do a ton of training, a ton of buildup, and eventually you deploy. And the Coast Guard, you go through flight training, you go through the transition course, which is what the other services call the RAG for a couple months. Then you show up to the unit and you start standing duty pretty much right away. Everything's on the job training, and uh, just a little different, but but uh, it, it's it's good. You know, <clears throat> did you ever get a chance? Uh, now, by the time you went through your flight training, um, they had already transitioned everything over to the uh, Texan two, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I know that they used to fly uh, the T thirty four Mentor um, for the training. And, um, it was funny. One time I was flying from Mobile to Pensacola, just took a buddy of mine up flying. We went, did a cross country to uh, Pensacola just to do a touch and go and then fly back. Well, of course, when you're flying via, uh, VFR, you know, you can fly through the MOAs as long as they're not hot. And, uh, one of the ones that I was flying through was not active. And of course, you know, around here, like you said, the panhandle of Florida, there's so many T sixes and TH 57s. And at the time more T 34s flying around. And so, uh, I'm just cruising over there about 7,500 feet. And, um, 
they handed me off to Pensacola Approach, and so I, I contacted in. Uh, Skull Kevy, 694, um, you know, gave them my location, altitude, and all that. And they said, right, and they said, um, you got traffic at your 6, or traffic at your 3 o'clock, 2T34's information. Looked over, saw them. I said, traffic insight. And they were, um, they were in formation, and they were banked. Um, probably about a good 35, 45-degree bank. And, uh, and I knew what they were going to do. Um, and you may have done this too, but when, whenever you see a 172 flying around, uh, they, you know, they're going to come around and try to acquire you at times. And so I kind of freaked the guy out that was flying with me. I told him, I said, dude, I said, look at that. And he said, I mean, that's cool. And I said, cool my ass. I said, they are fixing to acquire us. And he's like, what do you mean? I said, they're acquiring us as a target. And he freaked out. <laughs> and uh and he's like what and i said yeah so we're flying through a military operating area uh that's what they're doing i mean they're on patrol and so uh i called the pensacola approach and i said uh approach uh skull cavity uh 694 i request altitude change to uh, get out of the way of traffic i'd like to descend and they say roger clear to descend just call altitude once you level off so i told him i said just keep an eye on them. let me know when they when they get behind me right when they get behind me and uh, he's like, why? And I said, I'm going to dump the flaps and they're going to fly right by. And he's like, this isn't Top Gun and just starts freaking out. <laughs> and so as soon as they rolled out on my six, I basically uh, pitched the plane up, dumped the flaps, uh, stalled the airplane, of course, which is what I wanted to do, put us into a graveyard spiral. I did that intentionally. Dropped down 3,000 feet at nothing. You know how those work. And, uh, of course, they flew over. He's screaming. I'm laughing, having the time of my life. And um, I guess it was one of the uh, one of the instructors who actually got on uh, the radio and said, "Pilot of the uh, the orange on white Skyhawk, excellent maneuver." And I just <laughs> thought that was so cool, uh, and plus a lot of fun. Yeah, that's so. makes for a great story too. Um, oh yeah, I never. We never did any target acquisitions or anything like that. Uh, the only thing that we would do is, because, you know, you have your traffic collision advisory system, your TCAS, and yeah. if we were flying around in one of those training blocks and we got that TCAS alert, hey, it scared the crap out of me every time. But, you know, we would <laughs> maneuver as appropriate to try and avoid whatever that traffic was. But then we would try and find that traffic so that we knew where they were at and and uh wouldn't wouldn't hit them but that that's funny that's too funny oh yeah it's I, i've been acquired i don't know how many times uh but this was back in the t-34s uh they weren't as fast as the t-6 so uh i'm like you know what y'all flying orange on white my plane is orange on white we're gonna have some fun <laughs> so um ryan man seriously congrats um uh, you know you've gone through all the training and everything. I know you've, you know, you've busted your butt to get where you are. Uh, congrats on making aircraft commander on the 60. Uh, if you don't mind, uh, do you mind telling our listeners uh, a little bit what that role entails? Sure. Uh, like anything in the military, there's always a chain of command. There's always a rank order structure and that doesn't matter really any, anything in the military. It's that way. And even in uh, in civilian flying, right, you have the pilot in command and a co-pilot and the crew on airliners. Um, any any flight that goes out, there's always a PIC, a pilot in command, that accepts the responsibility of that flight, right? Anytime you go up flying, Mark, it's the same thing. Uh, if you're yeah. signing for that aircraft, you're the PIC. So an aircraft commander in the Coast Guard just means that you can be the PIC for a wide variety of missions, uh, standing duty, search and rescue cases, um, pretty much any mission that the Coast Guard does outside of a very select few specialized things like uh, tactical vertical insertion or, or, or some of those other very specialized missions, an aircraft commander could be the PIC for that. Um, it's It essentially means that... Um, that your command at the air station has entrusted you with the safe operation and safe handling 
of that aircraft in the crew. And it's, it's a lot of responsibility, obviously. Um, but it's also very rewarding to be able to go out and, and prosecute those missions. Um, the way it works in the Coast Guard, you, you start off as a co-pilot, basic SAR. And then from there, you get your, it's, it's more of an unofficial thing, but it's called the right seat qualification, which allows you to fly in the right seat for hoisting and some other things as a co-pilot. And then from there, you move into this intermediate stage called a first pilot, which is kind of like being a first officer, I think, uh, on the civilian that, side. That's when you're allowed to put your hands on the dash for uh, selfies. <laughs> no, <laughs> plead the fifth. Um, <laughs> so the first pilot, it's an intermediate in between being a co-pilot and an aircraft commander, but it shows that you have some maturity in the aircraft. It shows that you have a working knowledge of the systems and know how to, how to apply that knowledge to flying, you know, how are they going to fail? How's that going to affect me? How, how am I going to try and salvage that? Um, and you can fly with two first pilots together, even though, you know, obviously neither one of them is an aircraft commander. You can still go out and fly as long as the, uh, the command signs off on it. Right. Um, yeah. and then from there you pick up a, another qualification, uh, which is your advanced SAR, advanced search and rescue qualification. And with that, you can now go out and be the pilot in command for a hoisting evolution uh, as a first pilot. So you can have two first pilots. As long as one of them has the advanced SAR qualification, you can go out and practice hoisting, which is a big deal, right? That's huge. Because hoisting is one of the most dangerous things we do. Um one of the unique things about that too, though, is you can actually have two first pilots go out and, and do a search and rescue case. Uh, if, if the stars align, it's, it's very rare, uh, because normally the, the duty crew will always take the star cases because that's what they're there for. But if you're out flying around, something crazy happens, then it's conceivable that two first pilots could go to a search and rescue case. And that actually happened to myself and a buddy of mine uh, last year. Two F-18s collided off of the Outer Banks, and they threw pretty much everything at the air station at them. Myself and, and my friend um, were out flying on a, a training mission. We were out going to do some hoisting. We were both first pilots at the time. And like I said, they diverted everyone that direction. And he and I ended up picking up a couple of the F-18 pilots that had uh, ejected. So it does happen occasionally. It's rare, but it does happen. And then from there, you go and you pick up your aircraft commander um, designation. And that's a big deal. You know, it's a huge, it's a very long syllabus. Uh, a long board. Um, my board was a little over two hours sitting in front of, uh, I think it was five or six instructors or flight examiners from the unit that are putting you in different scenarios, trying to see how you work through and, and make judgment calls. And and after all that, you get uh, designated an aircraft commander. And uh, like I said, from there, you can be in charge of a duty section. You're in charge of the flight whenever you're out flying, if you're the PIC. Um, it's it's a lot of responsibility, but it's but it's very rewarding as well. Mark, have you heard of Live Flight for Infinite Flight? Yeah, man. I've used it to track flights and to see which regions and airports are busy before, you know, planning my flight. Right. Well, as you probably know, a new version of Live Flight is now available at liveflightapp.com. This new version is better than ever and has been rebuilt from the ground up. With the new design, more flight stats, a search feature, and airport information, tracking and planning your flight is easier than ever. Oh, man, I know. And now with the new downloadable KML files, you can download your flight data to any Earth browser, such as Google Earth. It's so cool. Absolutely. And if that wasn't enough, you can now subscribe to Live Flight Horizon, a new service for only $1.99 a month that provides real-time, worldwide airport information such as weather, runway data, and charts. It also allows you to search for flights, active ATC frequencies, and airports. And as a Live Flight Horizon subscriber, you'll also get much longer online sessions, and you'll be helping Cam to keep developing and improving this great app. So guys, make sure you head over to liveflightapp.com to give it a try. 
and also subscribe to Life Flight Horizon. It will make your infinite flight experience so much better. Life Flight is now available in the App Store for iOS. And now back to the podcast. What do you enjoy most about that role? And was that one of the reasons uh, for your recent transfer to Traverse City? Um, what do I enjoy most? You know, it's in the, in the helicopter, there isn't a huge difference between, uh, being an aircraft commander and, and, and being a co-pilot for as far as, as, as the, uh, relationships go and the mission that you do. Right. Obviously there's right. a ton more responsibility. You really have to th- really have to think about everything that you're doing, make sure you're staying in compliance and and not breaking any rules. But the best part of the job, which is the camaraderie, the teamwork that you build with, uh, the, the other person you're flying with, the person running the hoist, the, the swimmer going out on the hook, all of that, you still have that same camaraderie, no matter what position you're in really, you know? Um, and that's, that and the mission, the mission of going out and helping people, none of that changes. As you, if once you become an aircraft commander, it's just the added responsibility and and and, uh, and trying to think ahead of things. I would say since I've become an aircraft commander and transferred up to Traverse City, I'm flying with way more junior people than I ever did in Elizabeth City. I was one of the most junior guys at Elizabeth City, and now that I'm here in Traverse. I'm flying with a couple people that are straight out of the transition course, you know, uh, some that are straight out of flight school and in the transition course and haven't really flown the Coast Guard missions at all, haven't flown the 60 much at all, and and a couple guys that are uh, transitions from the 65 to the 60. So they, uh, one guy in particular, his name's John, he was a first pilot. He had just made first pilot in the 65 and then he got the 60 transition course. So he knows the coast guard mission. He knows the area, but still, still learning about the 60 as am I, as is anybody. Right. But, um, the cool thing is, is being able to show them some tips and some tricks and, and some things that people have shown me and, uh, and watch, watch those light bulbs go off for them that went off for me, you know, just a few months ago, it seems. And, uh, I would say that's been the biggest change is, is being in a more of a, uh, more of a teaching role almost, even though I'm not an instructor pilot, you're still as an aircraft commander, I find myself doing a ton of teaching here and, and that's also in its own right, very rewarding. And, and I've really enjoyed that. Uh, as far as the, whether or not that had a role in me coming up here. Uh, absolutely. So when they, when they being the big coast guard decided to put sixties in Traverse city, uh, in lieu of the 65s and granted this has been going, this, this discussion has been going on for a long time. It was sixties before it was 65s. That transition happened, I think back in either 1993 or 1994, somewhere in there. And it's been 65s ever since. But when I joined the Coast Guard in 2008, <clears throat> and ever since then, there have been talks about putting 60s up here. And this year, they actually made it happen. So they had a great plan for getting the aircraft up here, uh, spaced it out. Everything was pretty set in stone. The aircraft were coming out of uh, maintenance, two of them were. And one of them came from Cape Cod. The first one came from Cape Cod. And they had a great plan for transitioning all the mechanics and avionics technicians up here, uh, getting that hangar workforce uh, set up, and and that worked out really well. But unfortunately, I think somewhere in the process, getting the pilots up here was was, uh, uh, not done quite as, as thoroughly. So when it came down to it, they, they started to realize, Hey, we're going to have a couple aircraft up here and really no one's permanently moved up. And only a couple people are up here temporarily, uh, to help get this thing off the, off the ground. So they started looking at places that were overbilleted. Elizabeth city where I was at, uh, was, was a couple pilots overbilleted. 
which always seems to be the case for East City. Yeah, it comes and it goes. Before the year before I showed up, they were understaffed, and then they dumped a ton of co-pilots there. Myself being kind of on the tail end of that. Uh, so they were looking at places like Elizabeth City and a couple others, and they were looking for people that could move fairly easily and right away. And and uh, myself being just kind of a single guy, no kids, uh, and, and a new aircraft commander. I fit the bill pretty easily. So they offered it to me. And of course, if you get offered Traverse City, Michigan, I've always heard you, you don't turn that down. Yeah. Um, and it's a great opportunity. I, I really was excited. I really wanted to be part of, of this uh, standing up a, a new unit, as it were. Um, and it just, uh, the opportunity presented itself and, and I jumped on it. So it's been great. And- it makes sense to put the 60s in Traverse City being on the Great Lakes um, and the, the 60 having more range than the 65. Um, to me, that yeah. that just makes a lot of sense to uh, be able to put them up there. Because, I mean, as bi- even though they're called lakes and as big as they are, it's literally like being, you know, on one of the seaboards or down on the Gulf Coast. You know, you've got this tremendous body of water that you got to cover. So, uh, that definitely makes a lot of sense. Um, I still need to make it up there for sure. I got to come up there. Oh, definitely. Um, there's a ton of, ton of stuff that goes on here in the community. It's a very active community, especially in the summertime, uh, very supportive of the coast guard, which is phenomenal. Uh, but yeah, you know, the, the 65s did a great job up here. They, uh, like you said, you know, anywhere you're out on the lakes, you're, not too far from fuel because you can always just hop to the side of the lake and, and get some fuel in most of the places. Yeah. But it is a large AOR area of responsibility from here to Duluth, Minnesota, which is still in our AOR. That's 300 miles. You know, that's, yeah. that's not, that's no joke. Um, and the 65s, whenever they have to do a case up there, they would have to fly refuel, fly up there, I believe refuel a second time and then go do the search. Whereas the sixties, uh, as long as we take off with a full load of gas, we can get up there, knock out an hour search and then go get fuel, you know? Um, whereas the one seventy two, give me 40 gallons and I've got three and a half hours with a 30 minute reserve. (laughs) Uh, yeah. Ryan is, um, is your Coast Guard base a port of entry by any chance? Into your it country? is not. No, okay. it is not uh, in Traverse City, and that's something I've been working with the uh, U.S. Customs and Border Patrol on, uh, at least to set up a a mutual uh, agreement between the two of us that we can self inspect our crews if we come, if we go to a case in Canada, and we come back. Um, because as of right now, you have Sault Ste. Marie. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah, definitely. Um, we have Sault Ste. Marie, Canada as well, or Ontario. Okay, right. Um, that's a port of entry, and if you miss out on Sault Ste. Marie, then you have to end up flying south on like Detroit or, or somewhere down there, which oh, is wow. just fortunate. But... What's funny is that our uh, my small town of Perry Sound, Ontario, is actually a port of entry, um, and I believe a lot of harbors can at least in Ontario can be ports of entry and if there if there's no border patrol the police will just come and do it the the provincial police no oh, really yeah we had a a small cruise ship come in because we do have a fairly large waterway that comes in here off of Lake Huron and um the provincial police just went and uh did their uh port of entry because they came straight here from the states wow yeah or did their whatever you call it their inspection um, yeah, but, uh, well, I'm asking because I feel like, you know, it's only an eight hour drive from me to you. And if Mark's going to make the trip up there, then, uh, you know, if I, if I, 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 I would try and convince a friend to, um, fly one of their, oh, yeah. one of their small planes. Yeah. It'd be fun. Hell yeah. Hop in the rebel and come on down. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'd be awesome. Now, you know, Cherry Festival is coming up in a couple of weeks, and that's a great time. Uh, huge air show. Thunderbirds are going to be here this year. Oh, cool. Uh, the Coast Guard's 
going to put on, you know, SAR demonstrations three days over that weekend. It's, that's a good time, but yeah, anytime really would be, especially in the summertime. It's beautiful yeah, here. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that's one thing I've always loved about the Coast Guard. Um, you know, being around the Coast Guard my entire life with, with, you know, my dad being in it, the Coast Guard is so involved in the communities as where the, you know, the stations are located at. Um, and that's, that's great. You know, they, they actually just envelop themselves within the community, um, so much. Um, tell us a little bit about the involvement, uh, and the activities, uh, the Coast Guard participates, uh, with your experience, as far as, like you said, with the SAR demos, um, I know they do a lot of, uh, safety and survival training, um, and, and stuff like that. I mean, they're just, they're so oh, yeah. involved. I know like up in Kodiak, um, they have these, these classes where they're teaching, uh, civilians on water survival and, and stuff like that. So, uh, if you don't mind, you know, maybe elaborating a little bit more on, on the involvement with the Coast Guard for that. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, so the Coast Guard, it's very fortunate to have a great relationship with the communities, like you say. Um, and, and I think part of that comes from the mission that, you know, we truly are, we're here to guard the coast, but also to provide, especially at air stations, that search and rescue support to anybody, you know, it's, and that's, it's bred out of that desire for a lot of people in this community to help other people to, to, to fly into who knows what, to go try and rescue someone that they've never even met before, you know, and, and a lot of people see that a lot of people that know what the Coast Guard's about see that and, and they appreciate that. And, but then on top of that, you know, we, we do a fair amount with the communities and it, you know, it, it, it's, it varies from one station to the next, but what is fairly typical is you'll see demonstrations, search and rescue demonstrations, uh, fairly often, especially here in Traverse, you know, where we did one just the other day, right, uh, right off of downtown, um, for a rotary fishing event, uh, where they were trying to get young children out to, uh, do some fishing. And we came, we rolled in and we did a search and rescue demonstration for that. Uh, we'll do it quite a bit for the cherry festival and we'll do parade flyovers and, you know, just really showing the, the community that, Hey, we're out here, we're out here for you. And this is kind of what we do. Uh, but then there's other sides of it too. Uh, over Memorial day, most of us at the air station showed up at the cemetery that's, that's pretty close to the air station and, uh, met up with some of the VFW folks and, and some other members of the community. And we went out, we placed flags on all the veteran sites, you know, and we do at most units, a program called partnership in education, uh, PI. And that's where you'll have one or two days out of the week, people that sign up for this program go to the local schools and they help tutor children in different subjects that, uh, that maybe they're struggling in and get some good involvement there. Um, like you said, survival training, um, whether it's a set thing or it's just for special occasions, there's always times when, uh, you'll see coast guard stations, especially the small boat stations out there, uh, doing free vessel inspections to make sure you have all the right safety gear, uh, helping you check out that stuff. Oh um, yeah. Or, uh, or even just general survival, basic survival things in the water, you know, things that maybe people are new to the area and, and aren't really sure the best way to get out of a rip current or aren't really sure what's great survival equipment to bring with you, you know, uh, always there to help out because the more that we can help people keep people out of trouble, the, you know, ultimately the better. And, and, uh, and that's what we're all about. It's all about trying to help people stay safe. You know, what, what's next for you in the coast guard? What, what are your goals? What are your plans? Um, I know that you mentioned you love fixed wings, so I'm sure you want to fly the C one thirty. Well, that would be that would be a few years down the road, I think, if it, if it did happen. I would not be opposed to flying the C-130 at all. Uh, it's a great 
this is a phenomenal airframe and they have their own unique missions that that I, I think would be a blast you know in Elizabeth City they they go up to Canada and they do yep. the International Ice Patrol which mm-hmm. I think would be amazing uh, they they do a bunch of stuff down south uh, with some joint interagency task force things looking for um, you know illegal illegal migrants and, and drug running and things such as that and then of course they're their big brother out on the big star cases, which are awesome as well. But, uh, next for me, uh, continue to, to improve my, my skills and my knowledge about the aircraft, the area, uh, flying up here is going to be very different, especially in the winter time. You got lake effect snow, you got a ton of icing that I might not have really had the experience of in Elizabeth city. So continue to build those skills. Uh, and, and also, you know, I want to be a good role model and a good example for some of these folks that are coming up new in the 60, just like I had uh, when I was coming up new a couple years back. Um, and to do that, you really got to stay on top of your game, stay in the books, and and be proficient. So I like to, you know, keep keep chasing all that down. Someday I'd really like to be an instructor pilot in the Coast Guard, which means you one of the guys that are running people through syllabus events where that when they're going up and advancing their qualifications and designations, I think that would be awesome. Good. Uh, Maybe you'll end up back down in mobile and get me up in the sim <laughs> and access maybe, to the uh, ramp. Maybe, maybe I think <clears throat> for me here though, you know, I got another four years here in Traverse, yeah. something crazy happens and you know, we'll see what, what I'm feeling four years from now, but right now I'd like to go to Kodiak next. You know, I've always wanted to get up there. I think it would be amazing and be beautiful and some great missions. So probably along that, along that routes. And then on the general aviation side, you know, you mentioned fixed wing. Uh, I want to get my tailwheel endorsement. Uh, that's huge. I want to mm-hmm. get my float and, um, I'd like to get back into maybe a Satabria or, or some kind of aircraft like that and, and do some aerobatics again. I, I really miss doing that. So a yeah, lot of you goals. definitely got to get up to Perry sound where Jason is. Um, a lot of tailwheel, um, a lot of float plane <laughs> up in that area. Oh, yeah. So <clears throat> sure. that'd be awesome. I would love to, I'd love to go up into Canada. That'd be a lot of fun. Ryan, is there anything that you'd want to make our listeners aware of or anything you want to promote before we let you go today? Yeah. Um, you know, I don't really have an, an agenda or anything, but for a lot of people, myself included, when I was looking at pursuing these goals, it seems really unattainable, right? Everything in aviation is so expensive, um, and there's so many steps that you have to to take and so many wickets you have to hit before you even get to to some of these goals that, that I know a lot of people have, and... I think my message to them would just be to to keep that goal in sight and, and don't give up on it. You know, um, for me, growing up, I, w- I was homeschooled growing up and came from a family that, uh, you know, we had what we needed, but we really didn't have the the financial backing to go and pursue getting, you know, a, a pilot's license or anything like that on our own. In fact, very few people do with, with the cost of aviation training these days. Um, but like anything else, if you want it hard enough, you'll work hard for it. And I'm a true believer in, in that all good things, worthwhile things are worth working hard for. And, you know, and, and to anyone out there that's looking to go this route or any route in aviation, especially military aviation, just keep that end goal in sight and keep working hard at it. I have no doubt that you can, you can achieve these same things as well. Um, if it's, if it's something that you're passionate about, just find a way to keep working hard and just take it a day at a time. And before you know it, you'll be there too. And, and you'll be glad that you put in the effort and the time to do it. Awesome. I love it. Well, man, um, one last thing, and then, you know, I know we got to wrap it up, but um, just real quick, you really seem to enjoy photography. Um, that's how we connected was your C-130 pics. Is that more of a passion, uh, a hobby, or? 
how, how's all that coming into play? I would say it's somewhere in between those two. Um, I'm, it is a passion of mine, but right now, uh, it's, it's taking more of a hobby role in, in the terms that I don't have as much time to devote to it as maybe I would like, or I don't have the skill set to make it more than just a hobby, just an amateur photographer is what I would describe myself as. But, you know, it's something that I've always really enjoyed. When I was really young, I had just this small Canon point and shoot. I think it was like a power shot, something or another. But I would take pictures of everything, right? And, uh, and then in college, I saved up a bunch of money and upgraded to a Sony Nex5, which is a hybrid. It's like a mirrorless camera, yep. but with kind of a DSLR sensor almost. And really enjoyed some of the stuff I was able to do with that. And then a couple years back, I was starting to realize like there's so many things I would like to do that I just really couldn't do with that camera. So I started looking around. Uh, I made really good friends with a professional photographer named David Lau, who's a Coast Guard auxiliarist. That's how I met him. He came out and did some photo shoots for the air station. Learned a ton from him. And he helped me kind of decide which camera uh, would be a good one for me to invest in next. Because it's overwhelming, right? If you don't really know too much about Canon or Nikon, all these different models and and all these different things, especially if you don't speak the language well, like aperture this and exposure that. Uh, (laughs) It was a little overwhelming at first, but he taught me a lot about it, helped me narrow down what I wanted to get next and uh, saved up for it. And then when I made Aircraft Commander, I just kind of decided to give myself a gift and I went with a Canon 80D. And that's what I use now. Um, nice. Yeah, that's that's above amateur level, man. Yeah. Well, you know, I I wanted something that was beyond my skill level, so that as I continued to increase my skill, I could it would grow with it. you. Yeah. Exactly. Phenomenal pictures, man. Of course, of the one thirty. Hell, you even make a helicopter look good. So <laughs> that's kind of say coming from you. That's high praise, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Still got some work on the on the sixty five. I, I don't know if there's enough options in Lightroom to do that, but uh, still, sixty five is a good looking helicopter. It really is, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Well, before well, we f- offend too many people, we should probably wrap it up. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, thanks again for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. It's been a blast. Yeah, Ryan, thank you for joining us, and uh, thank you, Mark, for setting this one up. Oh, man, not a problem. Ryan, man, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on board, um, you know, and uh, joining the show with us. I'll be, uh, yeah, I'll be in Traverse City to check out the base. Absolutely, yeah. If you guys end up making it over here or up here or across here, um, definitely let me know. There's a ton to see. I'd love to show you. Awesome. Jason, what we're going to do is we're just going to get a boat, go out in the lake. Um, we're just going to get to where we're nowhere in range of their, uh, their AOR and. Send an SOS we'll... to Ryan. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that All way right. we can get a flight in the 60. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Ryan. Absolutely. Have a good one. Everyone, don't forget to check out Flightcast Cafe for bonus content from this and other episodes. Also, you can check out Ryan on Instagram. You can find him at ryan.web, and that's W-R-Y-A-N dot W-E-B-B for lots of great Coast Guard and aviation photos, including the C-130, HH-60, 65, and the Texan 2 mentioned earlier in this episode. Everyone, thanks for listening. Be sure to download Infinite Flight from the App Store or Google Play. For more on the podcast, visit flightcast.audio and be sure to subscribe on iTunes or YouTube. You can find us on social media at Flightcast Audio. Flightcast is brought to you by Linkhouse Media on the web at linkhousemedia.com. To cover the fine print, Flightcast is not affiliated with Infinite Flight or Flying Development Studio. I'm Jason Rosewell. Thanks for listening and happy landings. 